Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Welcome to Loveline. we got a great show planned for you. As always, later in the show, we'll be talking about how to deal with parents, families, and children that are exploring gender and also ways to uh, flirt that fully honors consent. Yes, we want to be thoughtful in the ways that we engage others. Uh, Question of the Night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page in the stories, so weigh in on that. And of course, we'll be sliding into those DMs, but uh, let's start by talking about Moderna. Yes, that is one of the COVID-19 vaccines. It's one of the companies, and the CEO warns, oh, grab onto your seats and uh, hold onto your masks, (laughs) that COVID-19 may stick around forever. And this is reported from our own radio.com. Coronavirus may be here for good, the CEO says. SARS-CoV-2 is not going away. This is a quote. Uh, He said, we are going to live with this virus, we think, forever. Uh, saying that it might become what they call an endemic disease. And that's ones that are always kind of present in certain communities and populations, but rarely cause severe illness, meaning it might drop down to the level of a cold. Not that that won't have massive impacts for some individuals, especially those that are maybe, you know, immune or respiratorily um susceptible to things like that. The World Health Organization said that there's already four coronaviruses that are endemic. Because remember, the, the uh, corona COVID-19 is one uh, of many different types of coronavirus. But there are four others that are endemic around the world, but none of them <laughs> thus far have been both as contagious or as deadly as COVID-19. So a new study was published in uh, Science, which is a journal. And basically, yeah, that confirmed that it's possible that the virus will at some point likely resemble the common cold in the future. Uh, but we got to defeat all those variants that are popping up. I mean, we saw variants in the UK, South Africa, and uh, we've also now seen some in the US. <laughs> I know. I wish I had good news for you guys, but I can't lie. <laughs> uh, also, looking at studies, sugar daddies and sugar babies are on the rise. Remember, sugar daddies and sugar babies are a relationship that's formed that's just open and it's acknowledged that it's about gifts or payment. And for many, it's how they're getting their bills paid. Why? Well, the government has kind of let us down with their stimulus packages and have not removed uh, student loans. So we have debt. We still have back rent to pay. And some people are unemployed and not getting their unemployment benefits. There's not been a good enough stimulus package. And what they're proposing for both student loans and stimulus are kind of a hot mess and barely are going to help people get through a few weeks. So that's part of why people are turning to things like OnlyFans, online 
adult videos and erotica and also finding sugar daddy and sugar baby relationships where you find someone who's has money and they're looking to include that taking care of you as part of their relationship to you. Sometimes includes sex, sometimes doesn't. Sometimes it's just about spending time together or someone happy to help someone out and get a little love, care and attention in their lives. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Um, but that's kind of where we're at. And this is why I think this next uh, headline's important. This is coming out of uh, Washtenaw County. Not familiar. I think this is out of Detroit. But the prosecutor there, the county prosecutor, will no longer prosecute consensual sex work. Good! Adults should be able to decide with other adults consensually whether or not they want to barter or exchange money for intimacy of any kind. Labor is labor is labor is labor. Everyone's job includes using their body as a form of labor. Again, we've talked about this. Please don't think that my nervous system and my neurology isn't for sale as a therapist. Please don't think that as a dancer or a uh, athlete that your body isn't damaged and ripped apart for someone else to make money off it and for you to build a career. That is part of all of our jobs. Our emotions our psychology and our bodies are utilized. This is no different. It's just that it includes romance or eroticism. And between consenting adults, we need to decriminalize it so that consenting adults can take care of themselves. They can report crime, right? They can get their needs met. But right now it's illegal in most places. So well done. I mean, that is a positive step forward. These kinds of uh, movements forward are really important because the world is changing. We're moving into, we're not moving into, we're in the fourth wave of feminism for the feminists out there. And that is technologically driven, very activistic. It's body positive, it's sex positive, it's pro-porn, pro-sex worker. Why? We're moving outside the confines of the other waves of cultural norms and values. We're trying to get rid of toxic you know, uh, masculinity and monogamy. And uh, we're just kind of opening it up and getting more honest. But that's really scary to some people. They're used to the binary, right? Single or in a committed monogamous relationship, right? Um, sex reserved only for something that's romantically driven, right? We, we are very uncomfortable with the in-between gender as well. Some people are still really upset <laughs> that it turns out there's more than two genders and more than two sexes, right? That our bodies and our gender expression can actually develop and present itself in a multitude of ways. The external doesn't always match the internal. And the psychological and emotional don't always match the external. And we have to accommodate that and normalize that because everyone has the right to feel worthy. Everyone has the right to feel valid and legitimate. And we have to change the norms to meet the standards of where people are and what they need. People shouldn't be uh, dishonoring who they are or shrinking themselves down to fit into norms and traditions. Traditions and norms need to catch up and meet people where they're at. People come first right? Not honoring the legacy of people that are no longer here. Things evolve. That's a good thing. That's okay. All right, y'all. Coming up next, we're going to talk about how to deal with the non-gendered kids, families, and loved ones, and then uh, talking about flirting with consent. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Question of the night. As always, you all know the drill. <laughs> I've got to keep telling you, it is up on our Loveline IG page in the stories. And we're going to talk about Babies. That's right. T H E Y B I E S. Babies. Why are we saying that instead of babies? Because we're talking about gender neutral parenting. Yes, this is something that is highly controversial to many people. Uh, we'll talk about it a lot. I love stuff like this. But whether, regardless of how you feel about it, we have to at least start with the recognition that. Diverse ways of expressing one's uh, gender and sexual orientation are just part of the reality of human nature. 
um, we talk a lot about animals and how animals have the capacity to be gay, straight, pansexual. Animals change their gender. Yes, that's right. There's animals that literally change their gender. There are animals that are asexual. There are animals that can impregnate themselves and are a self-sufficient system. You know, nature really lets us know how diverse and creative uh, life can be. And humans are no different. It's just that humans live within social structures and we have stigma and social shame and those are the things that keep us really in line and make us want to conform and be like everyone else and that's what you'll hear a lot of adolescents being rooted in just want to be like everyone else that's what adolescence is it's the first phase of life and the goals of the first phase of life are rooted in ego um, feeling confident, building a solid self, having an identity. And then we move into the second phase, which is about getting rid of all of that and moving more into authenticity. Now, gender can be expressed a multitude of different ways. And some people are saying, well, why now? Well, because we actually now have language, we have support, we have resources, we have community. So people are more confident and also better able to identify that, oh my gosh, that is me. This is why I never felt exactly comfortable living a certain way. There's so much to this. We love to attribute gender as being something that's genetic. It's not, it's absolutely not. And when we look back at time and even at other cultures, maleness and femaleness are expressed very differently. Even in our own culture here, do you know that a hundred years ago, we had pink and red as male colors? That's right, so when someone says, oh, my, my kid's obviously a girl, she loves pink and red. Well, <laughs> there was a time when that would have been associated with maleness, where that was seen as regal and royal. And so men wore pink and red, and girls were actually put in blue. There was a distinction there. So that's culturally created. And we know through parenting studies, this is there's a lot of studies done around this, that children are actually pushed by parents consciously and unconsciously towards traditional styles of representing their gender. The minute a parent finds out the gender of their child as they see it being, they start putting them in certain clothing, start buying them certain toys, and a child watches micro macro movements and forms of approval from parents and those around them, and also on television. When someone's told you're a girl, and then they see other quote unquote girls on television, yes, they internalize what they see them wearing, doing, and speaking. And we throw them out into the world to socialize, and we pick up on the norms of those we spend time around. You wanna be healthier, you spend time with healthier people. <laughs> you wanna be more creative and diverse, you spend time around creative, diverse people. We internalize the norms around us, culturally, but also socially and within our family. And so there's people that are saying, I want my child to have the opportunity to be more honest with who they are, and so I'm not going to force or push them into any way of being. I'm gonna naturally just give them a wealth of options as to what they can wear, colors they can wear, toys they can play with, ways to see themselves, and let them decide for themselves. And we're gonna hear more and more of that because gender can come in hundreds of different ways, right? Um, there was a time when women weren't allowed to wear pants, <laughs> right? I, my grandmother, I remember her saying she had just bought her first pair of jeans in her 50s because she was raised to believe women don't wear pants. Sit with that for a second. That we aren't, you know, men are not genetically wired to wanting pants. That's a social construction. Pants aren't a thing that can be tied to genetics. That's a material and a cut that we came up with culturally. We could have reversed that very easily and been socialized into that. So there are parents that are saying, I want my child to have the best of all worlds, the benefits of maleness and femaleness, and remove the negatives of maleness or femaleness. And it's even fascinating in my clinical practice where I'll hear someone say, oh, my feminine traits, softness, sensitivity. Well, those traits also exist with masculinity as well. 
<laughs> all genders have the capacity to have softness. It's just, have they been allowed to exhibit and express that? Has it been normalized? Or is that something that's shamed? And that's why we talk a lot about toxic masculinity, this idea that men are told, those that are male identified, they're told that there's a certain way that they have to live. There's only a certain set of emotions that they're able to express. I told you guys once before this really powerful study that was done on um, adolescents in school. And they said, they put a bunch of emotions on the board and they said, which are the ones that women are allowed to feel and which are the ones that men are allowed to feel? Well, women were given the opportunity to feel a wealth of emotions based on the children's explanations. But for men, they said men were only allowed to feel anger and frustration. They weren't comfortable saying that men can feel soft, sweet, vulnerable, scared. And that's something that we all have the capacity of feeling. We all need to have the ability to tap into a full range of human emotions. That is mental health. Not feeling as though I can only feel a certain amount of emotions because of my culture, my family, my gender presentation. Humanity is about a multitude of emotional forms of expression and we want people to have all of them. But we start applying gender terms, that can be very limiting. And bigger than that, you can think, ah, oh, it's a boy or it's a girl, but in honesty, you won't know until the child's old enough to tell you because there are trans and non-identified and non-binary people. And you can raise them however you want, but they'll come forward at some point saying that felt good and made sense or it doesn't and it didn't. And we have to be open to that. So we're gonna talk, we're gonna take a break, but when we come back, we're gonna be talking about ways that you can be supportive of families and children and parents that are attempting to give their, uh, their children a wealth of more options. And I know that again, that makes people uncomfortable, but know that mental health isn't rooted in if you have a penis, you live in certain male-identified ways. That's not always honest or real, right? We use their anatomy genital anatomy to usually determine someone's gender, but those can be disconnected. Those are not always aligned. And that's why we say there's a difference between anatomical sex and gender expression. Gender is what we wear, how we move through the world, how we want to be labeled, our identity, right? Where sex is based on physical and anatomical characteristics. And even we get that wrong sometimes, but that is a topic for another day. So when we come back, we're gonna talk about all the different ways you can show up for all these people in your lives. Why? Because you wanna be supportive and loving, even if it's not something you understand or feel great about. That is care and compassion. <laughs> Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about gender. Trying to normalize, trying to get people more familiar. Uh, when I was home over the holidays, my mom, um, not this year, this was actually the year before, uh, gosh, they all blends together, but uh, my mom was asking me about gender and all the different terms and had a little notepad. It was really adorable. She really wanted to understand. She didn't want to offend. And um, oddly enough, synchronistically enough, <clears throat> meaningfully enough, we went out to dinner that night and our server was um, probably most likely non-binary. And that really enlivened and brought forward the conversation that me and my mom had prior about how to identify someone and pronouns and asking people what pronouns they feel comfortable with and prefer and what are their pronouns. Um, so it was interesting how life can sometimes mimic that. There we were in that moment and I was saying, ah, see, this is why we talk about these things because you don't want your server to feel offended or not seen, you know, it's about respect. Um, and having been raised with a lot of trans identified people, when I was a teenager, I had multiple trans friends. Uh, I always ran with the more creative, diverse crowd. And um, I sadly got to watch what it meant for them to try to maneuver through the world and get employment and date and acceptance from their family and watch them get misgendered at times. And it was very heartbreaking and very painful. And I think that's what instilled in me at a young age, 16, 17, how important this work is. Uh, Cause I lived it with them. 
you know, and I got to see the, the heartache. And now as adults, they're out there doing really powerful things. Uh, some of their names you know. Some of them now are more of the trans celebrities acting and singing and whatnot. So, you know, they found their way. But um, it's, it's our job of us that are further along to kind of really help those behind us. Lift as you climb, they say, you know. As you succeed, help those behind you make the path easier. The path, shouldn't, the path should not have to be hard for anyone. And it isn't always a value, right? What doesn't kill you sometimes makes you more traumatized. It doesn't always make you tougher. All right. Uh, so remember the whole concept. Why are we doing this? For people to just be able to feel free to be themselves. It's a mental health issue. That's why when someone tells us their pronouns or a parent says, listen, we're raising our child not really identified with these terms. The whole part is that they're trying to carve out space for these people to live their entire lives the way they want. So if parents choose to not gender their children, you might not accept that. You might not want that for yourself, but you have to honor and respect it. You do. And it's just about these parents trying to help them, their, their, their kids live their best life. And studies show that children do, as we said, in the earlier segment, absorb gender stereotypes from birth at a very young age, and that this sets them up to be limited. There's expectations that as a boy or girl, as we diagnose you at birth, you then have to live under these, these qualifications, these characteristics, and don't step outside of that or you'll get shamed or in a lot of trouble. That's not real or honest. Let people just be who they are. So it's about liberation, right? And, and also know, and this is something I had to instill in my mom and even people in my practice where this topic comes up, is that you're not always going to get it right, and that's okay. Just ask questions. Apologize when wrong, right? Because we need to at least try. We need to at least get these conversations going. And, and you're not always going to nail it. You're not always going to know. Even I mess up at times. And you have to just be willing to apologize and say, hey, I apologize if I offended, or I, I'm sorry for hurting you is actually what the best apology would be. Um, and get educated around it, you know? But that, that effort does matter, and you should try. And we wanna make sure that we're always part of kind of doing the work for others. It shouldn't be on the shoulders of these exploited, marginalized individuals in whatever way they are to have to defend themselves. We as, you know, people that are part of the majority or the accepted crowd, we can educate those around us. And that's why it does matter what you allow around you in terms of terminology and jokes and whatnot. We get to be part of making that change. And I know I want the world to be easier for those behind me. And so whatever environment I'm in, conversation or whatever it is, I'm always talking about these things and calling out things that are kind of problematic or erroneous. We do need to take that responsibility of educating others seriously, right? Because it also can be liberating for us. And I think that's what the takeaway was for me is helping others through this journey. It made me have more peace with myself because none of us fully live within those lines. All of us have attributes or traits or interests which are, which are outside the lines of what culture has told us is acceptable for us based on our gender, right? So it's liberatory for all of us that we can just wear what we want, talk how we want, be identified as we want, feel all the feelings we want, like the things we, excuse me, sorry, like the things we like. But when I was a child, being told, well, you're a boy and so you can only play with these toys and you can only feel these feelings and you can only dress this way, that's forced. None of that was honest, right? And if I had an interest outside of that, I immediately felt guilt or shame, often felt unsafe. Let's not let those behind us have to live through that or live with that, right? And some parenting, excuse me, some parents are really trying to lead that charge. They want to create a better world, but especially for their children, you know? Um, but there's a lot of great resources out there. So take the time to learn. There's some great documentaries. Well, HBO put out a phenomenal one, tons of amazing books, a wealth of them, podcasts, and finally, we're seeing them on the big screen and in music, and that's what really normalizes. So don't be afraid of learning. Don't be afraid of asking questions. Don't be afraid of being wrong. But these things matter. And um, you might be surprised at those in your life who this might be meaningful 
to and who this might touch that you're not aware of. Be that safe resource. We know that with suicidality, which is higher in the gay, queer, lesbian, and trans community, that just having at least one person in their life that reflects back that they have worth and value and is there for them can reduce so significantly the high rates of suicide. Be that person, you know, they need you. All right, so coming up next, DMs. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, this DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Lauren, and I've been with my boyfriend, Greg, for a year. Oh, man, here it comes. And this pandemic has basically ruined us. We were so great up until the beginning. And even in the beginning, things weren't as bad. But now they're awful. We have huge blowout fights and nowhere to go. We both don't have family in the area and traveling isn't happening right now. So we're stuck after each fight. We blame it on the quarantine. And I think that has a lot to do with it, but I just can't imagine us coming out of this stronger. Also breaking up isn't really an issue because we both don't really have places to go. How can we survive this pandemic? First off, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, this is an example of how not everyone is thriving or doing well for some people, not having access to the outside world, buffers, distractions, fun. Um, people also aren't able to necessarily separate because they're cohabitating too closely around the clock, right? Some people are working from home, also with children from home, trying to go to school, trying to manage a lot. There isn't an ideal answer. Um, so psychologically speaking, I can talk about that, but I, I, I don't know how to help you with the structural piece of nowhere to go and maybe not having finances to move out that you have to talk to social services, you know, speak to your local officials about my, I, I don't know how to help you with that part, but psychologically speaking, you need to find ways to take space. Um, the best I can offer is it's, as you said, it sounds like you're not doing well and you're too close and you're having blowups. And that's usually a sign of either we're allowing ourselves to engage in really triggering topics or we're not regulating ourselves or we have too much time together. And so, yeah, you need to do the best you can every single day, be building in time apart lovingly. Like I said earlier, take a bath. It's a good way to disappear. Go into the bathroom for a while, put on some music, go into a different room, put on some music, go read a book, right? Put on some things that you maybe you can do together in the same room, but distract you watching some movies, take a time and go for a walk, maybe go for a drive, but also maybe you need to build in some more positive associative experiences with and of each other, where sometimes we get bored of ourselves and the other and the environment, because there's not a lot of stimuli right now. And so build in maybe some fun, say, Hey, let's go for a walk and let's just talk about fun stuff. Let's laugh. Let's play a board game together. Let's come with me to go grocery shopping. Sometimes that's what we need. We need to get out of the house together or we need to do something fun together, something easy and light. But maybe the issues are too deep and you're gonna have to learn how to be loving and be with each other until you have the ability to move out. But all I can say to you, because you're the one listening and the one asking the question is, you need to chill out. You need to work on either A, stopping triggering conversations. If you realize a conversation's bringing up that will lead to a fight, you have to say, listen, we can't talk about this right now. We're, we're, you know, we're trying to figure out how to still be living together. Number two, if you feel yourself losing yourself as a healthy adult, you have to say, listen, I need to stop this conversation because I don't like how I'm starting to talk to you and you need to track yourself. And that's what psychology can offer you. You have to be more sensitive to tracking yourself and, and you're, you're, you being overwhelmed and, and escalating into aggressiveness. Number two, track the conversations that trigger and avoid those for right now. A lot of them do not need to be discussed right now and say, we'll come back to that in better times. And number three, building in some buffers and time away. And number four, creating some more positive experiences together. That's what you got. 
And that's all we can do. Again, right now is not ideal. I cannot magically change the context of our lives. You are where you are, but you want to still focus on we need to get along because we are still cohabitating. And maybe you still want to be able to give your relationship a shot. And so you have to do that difficult work of tracking and regulating yourself. It is very hard, but no longer let yourself blow up. You do have the ability to control yourself. It just doesn't feel like you do. It maybe feels too difficult, but that's what the work is. Good luck. Y'all, we're doing our best. You know what I mean? We have to, though, remove whatever we can in terms of triggers. And we have to be better about how we're talking to those around us. A hundred percent. That's all we got right now because we can't all be just taking time off and vacations and, and you know, moving into new spaces. So good luck with that, y'all. I mean, uh, I can't cure things. I can't fix things. I can just give tools to try to improve, buffer, shave down the sharp edges. But uh, these are not ideal times. These are not ideal situations. All right, y'all. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about how to flirt better with consent as well as question the night. That is up on our Love Line IG page in the story, so weigh in on that. And then we'll be closing out the show with some DMs. Love Line. You check out past episodes by going to wearechannelq.com. Download them, post them, share them. Uh, coming up, though, yep, we'll be talking about flirting. You're listening to Loveline, Dr. Chris, on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and uh, we're going to talk about flirting. <laughs> it's a powerful act. And remember the goal of flirting. It's to make someone feel desired. It's to assess whether or not someone's interested relationally, sexually, or attracted to you, right? It's a form of communication. It's a clarification. But it should always make everyone feel good, right? Ethical sex, ethical relationships, ethical flirtation doesn't leave people feeling worse off or bad or unsafe. It should be a compliment. It should be enhancing and empowering. Um, So we're going to talk about how to approach others in a very consensual, positive way around flirting. But I want to just say something quickly on the inverse. Um, sometimes someone flirts with us appropriately so, and we're not interested. Take the compliment. Don't be harsh or mean or offended by who it is that hit on you as though that dictates your worth or or whatnot. Some people step into their courage and their braveness and ask someone out and, and support that. We need more of that. I want people to be able to ask people out in the real world and not have to necessarily use the apps, which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm very supportive of those. But we want to create an environment where as long as it's done ethically and consensually and with respect, that people feel welcomed to do so. I have so many people in my practice that are single and and trying to not be single anymore. And it would be a better world if they could confidently and others could confidently express desire and interest in each other. But we don't because we have guilt and shame about that. And it feels very vulnerable and we're afraid of rejection. But what if we got rid of rejection? What if people were able to just loving be like, oh, you know what, I'm really complimented. I don't necessarily feel the chemistry. What if we can make it softer? So be a part of trying to make it softer and easier. Don't make it harder for people to try to find love and companionship as long as it's done reflect, uh, respectfully and consensually. Now, I've seen it done horribly. I've been witness <clears throat> sitting at coffee shops, which is where I see a lot of it, and notice someone hitting on someone else and not picking up their covert and overt signs of not being interested and also just not feeling safe or good. You want to pick up on those things. You know, it's even like we see in movies. There's so many movies where someone's rejected and they keep trying. Don't do that. If you ask someone out or hit on them and they say no or act uncomfortable, that's it. That was your shot. Move on. Leave them be. Don't keep trying. Don't keep pushing. Don't ignore that. We don't want to support that. 
So the answer is when someone gets let down, I'm sorry to hear that, but move on. There's other people. Don't keep pushing. Because again, that's a misuse of the courtship process. It's supposed to be something that makes people feel good and brings them together. It shouldn't be a social issue that makes people feel worse off and unsafe. And some people complain and say, oh, dating isn't safe anymore. That's right. We've made it that way. We can change that. If we can be at our best, we can change that whole environment. I'm saddened by the harshness I hear from the clients in my practice on the dating apps. People aren't taking it seriously. They'll say things like, oh, it's just an app. Don't take it seriously. No, do take it seriously. That's a human being you're talking to. And they walk away from using the apps feeling better about themselves and the world and dating or worse. Don't make it worse and don't make it harder. <laughs> but we need to do it consensually. And that means always assessing what impact am I having on this other person? Am I reading them correctly? So first off, respect boundaries, right? You want to track. Is this person throwing up interest or lack thereof? Are they leaning out? Are they trying to look away? Are they looking down? Are they putting the earphones back on? Any sign of not interested or not comfortable, you want to respond. So you can ask someone. Everyone you know, has a right to be comfortable within that. So be thoughtful about that. And that has to do with their space as well. Don't intimidate someone. And I, and I see that where they'll move close. They'll pull a seat up. They'll keep talking. And the person's doing things that indicate, I don't feel comfortable or interested. They're looking down, they're looking away, they're putting the earphones back on. This is all very sensitive, but if you pay attention, you can track it. It's very clear, but you want to honor that. There's so many ways that people communicate a lack of interest, but I always tell people, you either ask them very boldly, like, hi, I noticed you. I was wondering if you're interested and open to talking. And if they say no, the answer is no. Hey, I've always seen you around. Would you be interested in going out at some time? They say, no, no. If you make eye contact and they look away, bam, not interested. We have to read the verbal and the nonverbal. If they smile, make eye contact, keep eye contact, keep talking, great. If not, move on. It's that black and white. It's that simple, you know? And um, you want to just be aware of the impact. A lot of people have been really turned off from the whole dating process because it's left them really beaten up. And that's a misuse of the whole process, right? It's sex, it's romance, it's supposed to feel good and be fun. Um, I don't 100% I don't know when that took such a drastic turn, maybe it's always been that way. Um, but the apps have made it a little bit easier for people to be harsher and to get more wounded and to dehumanize. But just remember that that's a person on the other end and you be honest, be authentic, but you have to honor the response you get back. And it might not always be in service of what you want, Gosh, what this really brings up for me though, sidestep outside of the whole topic is just how we don't even have the etiquette to really engage each other on social media about anything. <laughs> I don't know why we'd assume that the dating apps would be something with more that's more sacred somehow because even on Twitter, Instagram, people don't even know how to regulate themselves if they see something that they don't like. And I don't mean something unjust, unjust or something inappropriate. I just mean a thought that you don't fully agree with or comprehend. And, and, the, and the, just the, the, the aggression with which we show up. I think we've gotten a little too comfortable with that. And I think they're bleeding into each other. So it's that whole care and compassion word that we need to bring back. But um, anywho, we'll see how it goes. That's what I thought was going to come out of COVID. <laughs> more community-based, more universal responsibility. Not so much. Toxic individualism reigns supreme so powerfully in our culture. Um, all right, time to go. We got question of the night up on our Loveland IG page, so weigh in on that. And uh, we'll also be doing some DMs, so stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And um, 
intimacy buffers. So interesting, you know. Uh, one of the most powerful things we need as human beings is uh, intimacy, right? And that means having um, who we are and the meaningful parts of ourselves reflected back, right? Talk about all the time how our sense of self is reflected back to us, right? We can't exist in the world without other humans reflecting back our worth and our value. And uh, that's why we always talk about our mental health is definitely directly related to the health of those around us and how they speak about us, how they make us feel, how they show us who we are. And that's where self-esteem comes from. And so we need intimacy. Our, our brains, again, are social organs. So is our nervous system. Our brain is organized and thrives within relationship and relationships are very powerful, corrective experiences. And without them, we don't thrive. And that's some of what the difficulty and the depression is right now, again, in the world, COVID, not having access to meaningful distractions and connections and resources. But intimacy is really valuable. And we talk about what the most important pieces of intimacy are, right? It's time together, it's touch, and it's eye contact. And that's why long distance relationships aren't ideal. They're very difficult, they are doable, and you make the best you can. You can't have touch, but you can have as much time together and eye contact because of technology, thankfully. We would not have thrived back in the day if all we had was a telephone without FaceTime capacities. God bless that. Um, but. Again, intimacy is really built on those three factors. So again, if you're not feeling that there's a lot of intimacy in your relationship, that's because sitting next to someone's body watching television is adorable, you can get a lot of touch, but it really feels most powerful when we're making eye contact, intentional touch, and that time together. So really check in on how much of that do we get. Now, part of the problem is what I just said. We have these things called intimacy buffers. These different things that we bring to our lives that really block our ability to fully be present with someone. And it could be anything anything that doesn't allow us to really make that eye contact fully be present and engage. So I always bring up the example of what do you do when you come home? Are you very present looking at whoever's home, connecting with them? Or are you talking from the different floor that you're in? Are you talking while in the shower? Are you talking while making dinner? Are you talking while on the phone? Are you talking while on the computer? Because those things are intimacy buffers, they block. Because remember, we can't multitask. Multitasking is a lie. Our brains are only able to focus fully on one thing at a time. And that's why I say do one thing at a time. But we're trying to do multiple things. Neither one is getting our full attention. And we actually lose quality of attention in the transition back and forth. And so when someone says something to you like, oh, I'm here, I'm listening, I'm just on my phone. No, they, they aren't present. And I'm one of those people where I'll say, I'll wait because I know that you can't be present to me and whatever you're looking at on your phone. It's not possible. So we have to get rid of this idea that you can multitask. If you're trying to connect with your partner or your family or friends, Focus on that. If you need to do work on your computer, check your phone, ask them politely to pause for a second and do so. But don't do both. That's the intimacy blocker, right? You cooking dinner, great. Pause and come over, say hello, make eye contact, give a kiss, and then say, I'm going to return to cooking dinner and then we'll check in. I'm not saying you can't have background conversation, but I'm saying that doesn't count as intimacy building. And when our relationship is really built on those moments where we're distracted, it's a problem. Now, first dates thrive with things like that. Some people find in the beginning it too intensive to just meet for coffee and just have complete eye contact staring at each other. Cool, go hiking, go to an art museum, whatever it is, you're allowed to have these buffers that can kind of help us slowly connect to someone, but it's not gonna make us feel as present and as intimate as we could be without some of those factors. Again, nothing wrong with those pieces, but I'm basically saying check in to how often we need those or have those. Because again, the quality of our connection and how safe and comfortable we feel is directly tied to whether or not we have the eye contact and the touch 
right? And the intentional time. So really focus on that because those intimacy buffers abound. There's so many of them. And that's why old school style, we used to do dinner at the table, not dinner while watching television because imagine dinner while watching television. People are watching television. Their bodies are near each other, there's proximity, but that doesn't necessarily build in intimacy. No one's looking at each other or really talking to each other. Again, television, okay, but you really wanna build in those moments. So it's both a commentary on the flaw and the idea of multitasking. Employers only hire people that can focus and do one thing at a time. That's actually where you get the quality of work. But trying to get people to do multiple things doesn't work well. The transition loses something, as does the inability to be present with one thing when we're trying to do multiple things at a time. When we all know that, you know, things fall through the cracks. When you're trying to listen to someone while on your phone, you're not hearing what they're saying. And we know that. We know that from memory testing as well. So just really check in. How often do I have that block or that buffer? And is there a way to pause, connect, and then we can go back to? Because again, we need time away. Even babies have a natural rhythm where I don't remember now what the rhythm is, but it's like a certain number of seconds of eye contact and then they need to break. And then they remake that contact. So we need to kind of oscillate back and forth in and out. So there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's just when you have nothing but that. Or sometimes in our lives, we need a little bit more. And so we really focus on building those pieces in, right? Because again, it's not just about relational health. It's not just about social health. It's also powerfully about mental health because that's a social thing. We're just now really understanding through this really brilliantly intellectual uh, piece called interpersonal neurobiology and attachment theory. Both of them tell us that without relationships, we can exist. Without relationships, we have no self-worth. Without relationships, mental health is nothing. That is what it's a part of. We, this whole idea of individualism, doing things on your own, isn't real or honest. We're always literally or symbolically present and utilizing the care of people in some form, present or otherwise. There's always others around us, but more importantly, we're more robust and stronger when we ask for help and support. And that's part of this whole idea of more community care, reaching out to others, not trying to do things on your own. Being on your own, isolation, one of the most toxic experiences. So really practice reaching out if you're one of those people that really tends to isolate or work in this individualistic way. We thrive and do far better, which is also why people challenge school. You know, school is very much you're on your own, you take the test on your own, projects on your own, but the world doesn't work like that. Very few jobs are you on your own. Most of them are team building. School really should be honoring that because school is only there to set you up for the workforce, truly. And it should be col collaborative. We should be taking tests together and projects together, everything. Because again, most jobs, you are not on your own against yourself. You're working in teams or in departments. But school doesn't train you to be able to do that. It has you do everything in a solo capacity, some group exercises, but it's usually solo. And then we expect you to understand how to work with a team or a department. It doesn't really translate well like that. So anyway, changes to come. Question of the night coming up next. So still some time to weigh in on that. And then we're going to do some DMs. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, I'm sharing with you guys all week just these horrible, horrible articles of how much homophobia still exists in our culture. Please, uh, <laughs> some people thought the gay rights movement was over because gay people got able to get, were able to get married. That is really not on the top list of what people that are gay identified are fighting for. The right to marry is really a privilege. People that have the finances, 
Um, but people that are struggling to just, I don't know, get a job, have general respect, get good sex education in school, representation in film and media, find safe families, they don't care about getting married. Like gay marriage is a privilege. That should be something that like is so peripheral, but let's still try to resolve homophobia. There are still countries around the world where you are murdered, outright murdered for being gay. There are places where you can't have any rights. And we have judges that are still supporting conversion therapy. And here's another story. I wasn't aware of this. You know the uh, actor Ryan Felipe, which the younger generations have no clue who he was. He was a, kind of a big deal when I was a kid. He did an early gay role in his career. And he says that he was shunned by his own parents over just playing the role. That's how much homophobia still exists. Trans actors are still not allowed to play non-trans roles. Gay actors come out and then they're no longer seen as able to play straight. We still have so much work to do. I, I'm saddened to think that some people don't think that there's still homophobia going around. Um, there's we we have we have to have to have to have to still track this stuff. You know, people still get away with making gay jokes. I saw it coming out with even during the Trump administration when people were trying to slam him, they would body shame, talk about his weight, talk about his, you know, what they think his penis size is like, and these gay jokes between him and Putin. And it's like, that's homophobia. That's body shame. That's not what we're talking about or trying to do here, you know? Um, but imagine that an actor getting shamed just because of a role he played. And that's because we live in a homophobic culture. Are his parents responsible for being better? Of course, education's out there and available, but we still live in a culture that socializes people like that and normalizes that, you know, there's still people that are afraid to come out. So, so much work to still do. Uh, but now it is time for question of the night. Today's question of the night is, what's your go-to feel-good meal during the holiday break? Mine is donuts. But, you know, for me, vegan donuts, because I, I don't support the animal factory industry. It's violence, oppression. I won't put my money in that. So just caveat, anything I talk about food-wise is always plant-based and vegan. Uh, that's my feminism. That's my spirituality. That's my health. Um, but donuts is the answer for everything. <laughs> Someone's like, had a good day, donut, bad day, donut. Eat donuts as often as possible. Right now we need tons of joy and pleasure. You know what I mean? We have to not worry about weight gain. It's fine if you gain some weight. No one cares. You'll be okay. Move your body with some exercise and uh, focus on some rest and your mental health. Get rid of diet culture that says we have to feel bad about eating sweets or putting weight on. Ooh, sorry, my phone's on. Um, donuts, donuts. But what is your go-to meal during the holiday break? First person said... Definitely yams all day. Really yams, huh? <laughs> I like white potatoes, like white mashed potatoes. Sweet potatoes I like as a pie, but um, not as like in the mashed form. And I know you didn't say that. You didn't You didn't qualify how you like your yams. You just like them, but that's cool. Someone else said hands down mashed potatoes with extra gravy. Thank you. Thank you. I love potato products, especially fresh uh, French fries and waffle fries, mashed potatoes, delicious. The only thing's better, and I said this before, you add some wasabi or garlic to those mashed potatoes, fire. Uh, what's your favorite go-to meal during the holiday? Someone said anything but cranberry sauce, because that's gross. Yeah, poor cranberry sauce. I think because it so often comes out of a can and they just kind of like flip it over and it's like, <laughs> that, like that whole jiggly pile of thud is just not doesn't look desirable to people. I don't know. I don't think it tastes bad as much as it just doesn't always look great. Anyway, somebody else said, I love my mom's cheesy potatoes. So sad I can't eat that this year. I know, I know, but those cheesy potatoes will be there for you next year. Oh, gosh, you guys are killing me. These potatoes, so good. Someone else said wine and then more wine. <laughs> I know so many different ways we're using, co or so many different coping mechanisms to get through this right now. 
Somebody else said, I think the leftovers are my favorite part. A turkey sandwich the day after is the best. Leftovers are, I agree, often leftovers are better than the original. There's something about when something sits in the fridge and just continues to like absorb all the, the flavors around it. Um, and that anticipatory excitement of going back and digging into that thing. Gosh, and that's what's great about the holidays is often there, there's so much food that's made that leftovers abound. You, you know, you're eating all week, some variation of like what was prepared for the meal. God, it's so good. I know, I know we're going to miss it this year, but that's okay. It's okay. It is okay to let a year go by without a party. It's okay to delay your wedding. It's okay to not have your baby shower. We have to be okay without these things in service of what's going on. People are dying. You know what I mean? Like death Death means more, y'all. Somebody else said, my family is weird and we do seafood for the holidays, so I'm going to miss that crab feet. I, 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 do you know I've never had seafood in my entire life? I grew up in a family where my mom was deathly allergic, so we never had it at home or when we went out to eat. And I went vegan at, I think, 19. So um, I've never eaten seafood. Couldn't tell you. I one time, uh, maybe two times, had tuna fish out of a can. That's all. I have no idea what shrimp tastes like or lobster or crab. No clue. I know the vegans, vegan versions. I know what vegan crab cakes, take, uh, crab cakes taste like. It's made from artichokes. It's delicious. Or some old bay in there. But couldn't tell you if it's like the real things. I've never had it. Seafood smells. I think that's why I can't get past that stench. Anywho, y'all do you. You know what I mean? All right, y'all. Thanks for participating. Question of the Night is back up on our Loveline IG page in the stories. Coming up next, sliding into those DMs. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Here's tonight's question. Hey, Dr. Chris, hope you're doing well. Love listening to Loveline. I had a quick question for you. I know that you're a strong advocate for sex work, but I have a friend, I love butts, but who I feel is too deep into her work. She always, in caps, is working. She says she likes the money and attention but I'm afraid she's losing herself. Is there a delicate way to bring this to her attention? She's pretty new into the business, so I know she's probably just excited, but I'm worried. So look, I like this. You're a good friend. You know, you're trying to help your friend be more aware of themselves. And, and sometimes those outside of ourselves are the ones who can reflect back, I'm noticing your mood's different, or you seem really tired all the time, or you don't seem as happy. Or how about this? This is sometimes the most delicate, beautiful way. Hey, I miss you. I miss you. You know, you're, you don't seem, and again, hear the tone. We're not shaming, we're not judging, because what your, what your friend is doing isn't wrong. Your friend is allowed to be in too deep. Your friend is allowed to say, I'm prioritizing working right now. You know what I mean? So no one's doing anything wrong. It's just you're wanting to uh, give them the opportunity, which is what we lovingly do in a relationship. We let people know how they're impacting us. So, they have, so we empower them to decide if that's reasonable and they want to make a change or maybe not, right? We don't want to just cut people out and decide for them in healthy relationships, marriages, friendships, whatever it is. We let people know what it's like. We let them know what we're struggling with as a way to maybe, again, give them the opportunity to be empowered, to say thank you for telling me that. Because I know for me personally, if someone was worrying about something going on with me, I wouldn't want them to make decisions or to judge. I'd want them to say, this is what I'm noticing. I just want to bring this to your attention you know, here, do what you want to do. You know, that's how we lovingly give someone empowerment. Um, but start with that. Like, I miss you. I, I miss spending time with you. Um, you're working a lot. I'm so glad you are. And I'm glad you're enjoying it. Is there any way you can carve out more time for me? Um, or, you know, I just wanted to lovingly let you know, I love what you're doing. You, you seem not yourself though. Um, are you working too much? How does the work feel? And your friend might say, I feel great. I feel happy. I feel content. I'm making great money. And then you have to just say, okay. And then you have to, you have, then the work is on you to be a good 
your friend and hang in there and support your friend. That's part of being in a relationship of whatever, whatever it is where it ebbs and flows. We get closer, we get more distant, people's priorities change. And like you said, your friend's new to sex work and they're loving the, inten- the attention and they're loving the money. And that's the benefit of sex work is you get your desirability reflected back powerfully. And from the safety of your own home, if you're working from home with sex work, you can make a lot of money. You know, and a lot of people realize that they do enjoy uh, erotic labor and using their erotic capital, the parts of themselves that are very desirous or desired by others, I should say, you know, but I, but I appreciate that you miss your friend and you're worried about them. But again, just remember, they're not doing anything bad. They're not doing anything wrong. So you don't want to judge how immersed they are in work, but you do want to let them know that maybe you miss them. We wish they'd spend time with you, but be happy and open to hearing their answer. Some people, that's where they need to be right now. Some people that's actually one of their coping mechanisms of how they're getting through the pandemic is to really kind of distract from it and to put their head down and to work a lot, right? Knowing now's the time to do that. I have access to not much else. And then when the world opens up again, they'll work less because they'll be back out, I don't know, hiking, going to the movies, going to dinner, dating. And then you can all go on a trip. Maybe you can go on a friend trip for the weekend. And so this might just need to be temporary, you know? So also remind yourself that this isn't necessarily the new norm and how it will always be. People tend to want to really focus on their new career, but that tends to water down. So this might just be what's happening on the front end. So don't panic. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think that's part of the issue is people get anxious saying, are they gone forever? Have I lost them? You You will if you judge and criticize, right? But you won't if you stay open and hang in there. And that's the biggest, most beautiful act of love and commitment to a friendship or a relationship is to be there through the tough times, you know, cause they need you. So anyway, good luck with that. Um, that is our show y'all tomorrow's question of the night as always is up on our Loveland IG page. So weigh in on that DMS are always open. So if you got a question for us, drop them in the DM. It's always anonymous. It's always confidential. And uh, I love how vulnerable you are with your questions. And if you're thinking or wondering about something, most likely someone else's and people learn from hearing about others journeys. So thank you for the vulnerability. Uh, tomorrow's show, we have some guests coming on and also we're going to be talking about high achievers. What can we learn about that process? That's good and bad because what it takes to be a high achiever isn't always rooted in mental health. Sometimes it's kind of a, a distraction from that. So we'll be talking about that. And uh, if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, do so by going over to wearechannelq.com. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out and you have a beautiful rest of your night, hopefully focused in joy, pleasure, rest, and tons and tons of self-care. Have a good night, y'all.